When have you asked yourself, what's the point of my life? What am I here for? From the time we're born, we're fed the story that life is random, a product of chance. But if that's true, why do we long for so much more? Why does it seem like the human soul is made for meaning, designed for direction? Here's why. God created you on purpose for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place among certain people. Let's explore how you are wired by God. Whoa, you guys excited to be here this morning? Oh, I love it. I love it. I get so excited starting a new series, and this one in particular, because we're going to be looking at, over the next couple months, how God has wired us, how our unique personality, our unique story leads to a unique calling. And and just imagine if we could start to get some clarity around the purpose that God has for us in this life and what it looks like to walk with meaning, to walk with significance. And here's a few things that you're going to see when you start to gain clarity around how you are wired. First is, is you get clarity of direction. And what I mean by this is you can now live a life driven by a vision, a vision of purpose and significance for your life. This is how I move forward. This is what it looks like. Second, confidence. When you wake up, you're like, no, no, this is, what, this is who I am. I'm no longer trying to live in somebody else's skin. I'm no trying to live, live somebody else's purpose. This is who God made me to be, and I can live boldly and courageously making a difference in people's lives. And thirdly, and this is important, is you begin to live a life of dependence because you are no longer just walking in your comforts you are walking in your calling. And in that, what that draws us to and what that pulls out in us is we need a dependence on the Lord. I I, I am dependent on his spirit to move and how he's wired me and how he's gifted me and what this looks like. And so here's why this is going to be a journey, okay? Because calling and purpose and, and, and our wiring is not something that's just like discovered one day. It's actually developed over time. If, think of it as something you're chiseling away at, okay? So go back with me to 2005. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a 19-year-old teenager, and I've just moved to Portland, Oregon, and I'm going to Multnomah uh, Bible College. And the first week that you're there, they have this thing called the ministry. Ministry fair, and it's where all the you know all, all the ministry, you know churches and nonprofits from the surrounding area are looking for you know volunteer slave labor, and so they go to the colleges and they they you know they set up signs and banners, and here's why our ministry is so great. And so I'm walking through and you know kind of looking at different ministries, and 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 I I'm talking to this completely nerdy uh, youth pastor. Uh, he's probably in his late 30s, early 40s, and he's telling me about his church and ministry, and it sounds incredible incredibly boring. And then this incredibly beautiful girl walks up and starts talking to me. And I don't even like, at this point, I'm like completely distracted of what's happening. But I hear her say the words, you should come serve at this church because I serve there too. And I'm like, I, I, sign me up, like blood covenant. What, like what? 
and I kid you not, okay, I'm 19, I go back to my dorm, I pull out a calendar, and I write down the date, because I'm like, this is the date I met my wife. This, I'm, I'm going to marry this girl. I know, I, in that seven-minute interaction we had, I know we are going to get married. But I have a problem. I don't know, I, I have no, I moved to college, and I move up here, and I have no car. I have no way, Uber hasn't been invented yet, right? Like, I, I don't know how to get there. I walk two miles to Fred Meyer use all the money in my bank account to buy a mountain bike. This is how committed I am to this marriage already, right? Okay? So, so I get this bike, and, and uh, you know, I'm just hustling all day to just make this happen, and I'm like, and I'm, I'm pedaling this, like, this junior bicycle all the way through the streets of Portland, multiple miles to just get to this church and to, to you know, finally, you know, start the courtship and, you know, go through this process. And so I kind of get there and I'm interacting, you know, with the kids and meeting people, you know, just, you know, <laughs> smiling, laughing, <laughs> yeah, I'm fun and funny, <laughs> right? And so, and then she walks up to me. She sees me, and she starts having these conversations, and I'm like, this is, Lord, this is it. Like, you are good, and your mercies endureth forever. Like, this is the moment. (laughs) And then somebody who's in conversation with us makes a comment about engagement in reference to her engagement. Now, I'm, I'm 19. You aren't checking for marriage at this point, like in, at least in my mind. And I look down on her hand, and she has the fattest promise ring I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and my voice cracking, I'm like, what's that, right? It's like, oh, yeah, like my fiance. I'm like, I don't speak French, girl. What are you talking about, right? You know, he's off at a police academy. He's going to be a Portland police officer. I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to die, right? <laughs> and I'm just literally spend the rest of the night just, like, sulking. Just like, why? Like, wh- Lord, did you not, are you not sovereign anymore? Like, what, what is happening? And, and towards the end of the night, we're kind of wrapping up and almost getting ready to, to, to go home. There's, like, 30, 40 minutes left. And, and this kid, Eddie, walks up to me. And Eddie is a senior entering into his senior year. And Eddie has just been through like trauma and tragedy with his family. And he's wondering what he's going to do with his life and where he's going to go. And there's just this like switch that flips in my heart. And immediately we just start engaging and talking about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live with purpose what it means to live with significance. And we spend the next 30, 40 minutes just Eddie and I just like zoned in. I mean, he's, he's 17, maybe 18. I'm 19 at the time. And, and it's just like, I, I'm just, I just come alive in that moment. And, and I remember standing outside after youth group and Eddie's walking towards his car and he gets to his car and he stops and he turns around and he kind of jogs back to me and he just looks at me and he goes, hey man, like I wasn't gonna come tonight and I'm so glad I did because of the conversation we just had. I feel like it just shaped the trajectory of my life. And in that moment, I knew, like, this is what I'm called to. Like, I got Jesus juked into ministry, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like he got me there one way, but then he locked me in. This, that was a pivotal moment. Fast forward 16, almost 17 years later, here we are today, because of moments like that in my life. Look, I wake up every day so unbelievably grateful that I get to walk in my calling, 
that I get to live. I, I know what I'm wired for. And this is not about a job. This is about purpose. And, and, and it can be any career path if you are living out your purpose. And so this is my hope, that over these next seven, eight weeks, you would have a completely revamped clarity around what God has made you to be and what it means to live with purpose. That's what wired is. And so where do we start? You guys, let's start in the beginning. Uh, open up to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 26. If you don't know where Genesis 1 is, it's to the left in your Bible. And this is what it says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Where do we start? We have to start with this understanding that we are made in God's image. If we are to understand how we're wired, what our purpose, what our meaning is, it starts here. It's this glimpse, and now this is why it's significant, because there are all kinds of origin stories that contradict and conflict with this. Okay, so even when the book of Genesis was written thousands of years ago in the ancient Near East, there was dozens of different creation, origin accounts, okay? And, and they had all these different gods that they would worship, and they would make up these stories. And there was the most popular one of the day was called the Enuma Elish, and it was from Babylon. Now, Babylon was, was the, the primary, the main dominant city and uh, think of it as like this cultural hub. It's, it's a New York City. It's a Los Angeles. Everybody knows about it, and trends start there, and ideas start there, and it's this hub of culture. And in their story, this origin story, um, the gods, they're, they're tired of work. They hate working, and they hate um, growing community, and they hate growing cities and building and all these things. And so they complain to, to Marduk, the king of the gods, and he comes up with his brilliant solution. You know what his brilliant solution is? He's going to create humanity to be slaves. This is, this is the language of the Enuma Elish. It says, I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. So this is a worldview that, that, that ancient Near East had. No, we, why do we exist? We exist to just slave away in service to the gods. And so that's why we offer these sacrifices. This is why we work the ground. This is why we farm and build. It is a, a, an act of service and slavery. This is the ancient origin narrative of that day. But today, there's also a, Connor, a, a counter narrative. It's the modern Western narrative. And what is that? That we are just a product of evolutionary accident, right? Like you are a computer that is made of meat. We've evolved randomly over billions of years. But you guys, this, this secular story is bankrupt of meaning. It's it has a faulty foundation of your life. How do you build? How do you build a life of significance and meaning if you are just a product of chance? 
if you are just a random happenstance. And this is why this origin story in Scripture is so significant. You are not random. You are not an accident. You are created by the brilliant, innovative, innovative, imaginative God, and you are created in his image. And so what does it mean that we are in God's image? What does that actually look like? Well, the word here for image is salem. All right, so salem, what it means, is it means idol or, or statue. So salem Elohim, you are the idol, you are the image, you are the statue of God. And, and this word was used for all the foreign gods. They would have their temples. And, and, and if you're going to worship this, this God, this um, it created God, you need an image. You need an idol. You, uh, you need a salem so you can see what he is like. And God takes this story and he flips it upside down and says, no, no, I, I don't need you to build some image. You are my image. I, all of the cosmos is my temple. I've created all of this and you want to see what I'm like? I'm going to create humanity to, to reflect and to reveal my image. We are God's salem. One of my favorite analogies for this is this idea of a mirror. Um, and it's significant because this is the picture that we, what does it mean to, re, to be in God's image? That we are a mirror that reflects God. And so when you look, in, when you look at us, you can see what God is like. You, you get an idea, you, you get a picture of it. John Calvin, he puts it this way. He says, we learn what is the end of our regeneration, that is, we, that we may be made like God. Okay, regeneration is this idea of born again. What is the purpose, what is the longing? That we would reflect God, that we would look like him, and that his glory may shine forth in us, that man reflects like a mirror the wisdom the righteousness and goodness of God himself. That's what it means to be created in God's image, that we reflect him. We have this amazing ability and awesome responsibility to be God's mirrors here on earth. That you somehow, you can look at you and I, you can look at how we're wired, and it points to and it glorifies our creator, and it brings joy to others. See, the origin story is absolutely critical because when we understand our original intention and our original intent, that's what helps us understand where we find purpose and meaning and function. The biblical creation account, it tells us we are created in God's image to reflect his relationality, his creative genius, his work in this world. That's what it means. That's, that's, that's where you start. So, so, so let's break this down a little bit. Let's look at three ways that we reflect and that we image God. What does it say um, in the beginning? It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So uh, I'm, I'm going to write these three words on the mirror as I, as, as I go through them. Um, first, we are relational, right? So we, we relate. That's critical to what it means to be in God's image and to actually reflect him. Because God is, what is he? God is community. He's father 
and his Son, and and his Holy Spirit. This is why the New Testament authors will use the language that God is love. And not just God is loving, yes, God is loving, but he is love himself. He is a community of perfect love. And so we mirror, we image God, we reflect God when we love others and when we are in community and connection with others. This is why we long uh, for connection. This is, this is why we are relational. It's, it's the image of God in us. I, I was scrolling through uh, Twitter this week. I don't know if you ever have this happen. You just see this, like, you know, you see a picture or an image or a quote or a video that just moves you. And, and I saw one this week of, of a gal, and she's, she's walking on a bridge, okay? And, and she's just, she's walking on a bridge, and you can see that she's just kind of waiting for people uh, to pass. She's waiting for a clearing, and then what does she do? She starts to climb up the side of this, and this, this individual, these men see her, and they grab her. And they pull her back over. And they hold her. And they walk with her. This is reflecting the image of God. They don't know her story. They don't know what brought her to that point. They don't know what she's going through. They don't know why she is feeling what she's feeling. But they know that she has dignity and value and worth. They know there is a story that God is not done writing with her life. And what are they doing? They are being the hands and feet of God to her. They are reflecting his saving grace. This is why we are moved by pictures and images like this. Being made in God's image means we are created to be in relationship with one another and to reflect God's love to each other. This is why you feel alive when you sit down and have a good meal with friends. Man, it's that image of God being brought forth. This is why you get that text message from some random friend or, or neighbor or coworker just letting you know they're thinking about you, and, and, and you, you, you feel different, don't you? Like, it, it taps into something deep. You go to a party, and you meet new people. You give hugs and handshakes and high fives. You fall in love and get married and start a family. You counsel another, or, or another human, or you teach a child, or you inspire a coworker. This is at the core. This is what it means to be human, because this is how we reflect the image of God. We are relational. And on the counter side, this is why we feel less than human when we're isolated, when we're disconnected, when we're alone, when we're removed from others, when we don't get invited to something that it seems like every, everybody's at, when we have a, a break in a relationship or a wound or a betrayal. We feel less than who we are meant to be. Why? Because it is less than who we're meant to be. We are created for so much more. We are relational. Second is this idea found in Genesis um, 26. It says, what what will they do? They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. So what's this second idea of what it means to to reflect God's image? Is that we would actually be a people, a people who rule, okay? Now, what is rule, and what does that mean, and, and, and how is that significant to this story? Well, it's the Hebrew word radah, and it means to reign 
or to have dominion. As one scholar um, explains it and, and interprets it, it's this idea of actively partnering with God and taking the world somewhere. God has chosen us as partners and moving his story forward. We are actually made to work and made to advance humanity and culture in this beautiful way. Later in Genesis 2, it zooms in a bit more on the humanity story, and it says, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Tim Keller describes this word, what, what does it mean to, to work, and he talks about how it's this idea of rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. And, and, and the truth is all of us, like we have a role to play in what God is doing in this world. This is why work is significant. Now we're going to continue to zoom in on this in the coming weeks, but we need to understand this is part of the good original intent. This was not after the fall. This is in creation. Work is a gift and it's, a, it's actually a blessing. It's one of the ways we partner with God. And God, he does not hate work. See, this is what's so significant about our origin story and the creation story is we are created by a God who finds joy in creating beauty and systems, these things that, you know, people make fun of you for. You're like, oh, you're so type A. You're like, no, I'm godly. Okay, calm down. Okay, <laughs> God had a spreadsheet and it had zero errors, right? He had knew, knew all the formulas, right? You, you, that is God language. It, it's built into, the, like DNA is literally code. He created the first supercomputer. Some of us, you know, we need some updates, but that's all right. Okay, God himself is, he's working to create a world for humanity for creation itself to enjoy and experience his presence. And we are his co-creators. We're his image bearers. We're his partners. John Mark Comer puts it like this in, in his book, Garden City. He says, we're called to a very specific kind of work, to make, garden, make a garden-like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive. Where people, can, where, God, where people can experience and enjoy God's generous love. A kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Where the glass wall between earth and heaven is so thin and clear and translucent that you don't even remember it's there. That's a good story. I want us to understand that our work, what we do with our time, what we do with our hands, it has significance and it has meaning. It's not something to just get through so you can go home and turn on the TV. It's not a week to just get through so you can just get to the weekend. It's not 45 years of labor so when you reach 65 you can finally retire and finally enjoy life. No, there's an origin story to work. It's how we reflect the image of God is by the way we rule and we reign and we have dominion and we advance humanity. And lastly, how do we reflect God? It's, it's by this idea that we actually replicate. It says that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's this idea that we would be replicators. Tolkien 
And C.S. Lewis, they had this brilliant concept they would talk about, how we're created in God's image, and so we're sub-creators. He's the ultimate creator, but to be in his image means that we actually create ourselves. And so when we write poetry or create novels or do art or start businesses, we are tapping into the image of God in us. This is why engineers and architects and artists and entrepreneurs are so, heart, so close to the heart of God because you're replicating the image of God within you. So this idea here where it says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Like, yes, it has to do with pro, us procreating. Yes, it has to do with um, getting married and starting families and, and having children. But it's also cities and culture and art and food and iPhones and Teslas. Like, this is, this is us sub-creating in a beautiful way that reflects God. Because God, he could have made, hum- like, the first humans were made from the dust of the earth. And that's how he could continue to create humanity. But he created us with potential. He created us as multipliers, as replicators. And so how does human multiply, how do humans multiply? They do it through marriage and through love. We are the ones who, who, who replicate. He could have made food fall from the sky. He does that with, with the Israelites in Exodus when, they, when, they're, when, they're, when they're leaving Egypt. But he doesn't do that. He does it through farming and agriculture and trade and restaurants. Like, be, why? Because we are to replicate God. And he didn't just put them in a city. He put them in a garden. And he says, now here's all the resources. Here's all the beauty. Here's all the elements. Go and build. Go and make. God is looking for partners. This is how we reflect God's image. We relate we rule, we replicate. And so this is why we feel a deep calling within us to procreate little human beings, even though it is the hardest thing you will ever do on in your life. All the moms kind of just like looked at each other like, amen, he can say that again, right? I have a movement of truth in my spirit over that. This is why you feel accomplished when you work with your hands to build a table or to garden and plant flowers, or to paint a picture. You're tapping into what it means to be human, what it means to reflect the image of God within you. And this is why music moves you emotionally. And a stunning piece of art can just take your breath away. Because this is what it means to be human. This is why there's so much more depth to the things we do. Like when you pour that cup of coffee this week. You're not just being a barista doing your job. You're providing an element, an environment for community and connection. Do you know how many life-changing conversations have been had over that cup of coffee you pour on a weekly basis? What are you doing? You're moving humanity forward. You're partnering with God and being a sub-creator. You are fueling that employee as they get get ready to go build your future house. Like this is advancing things. You're expressing the image of God when we, and we are reflecting him when we are relational and when we rule and when we replicate. And like this is exciting, right? Like man, this is awesome. And so it begs the question though, like Okay, but like that sounds great, but like what happened? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you look around and you're like, this just feels broken. 
um, this is where the story of Genesis 3 comes into play, where Adam and Eve, they're given a choice. And at the center of the garden is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the choice is, will you trust me or will you trust yourselves? Will you trust that I have what's best for you or will you um, go your own way? Because there cannot be full love without choice in these moments. And so this is why the, the creation story is also so pivotal, um, is because it also helps us to understand why this world is broken. This is what we are created for, um, but the fall happened. And I do not want to get glass in my eyes, but I'm going to smash this mirror. And this is what we experience. These are all still here. I'm going to take these glasses off now because y'all blurry. (laughs) This is all still here. But it's not what it used to be. Am I right? It's not what it is created to be. And in fact, as we go through and we look at Genesis 3 and we look at the curse, God explains what's going to happen. He says, relationally, there is going to be enmity between you two. And they are the first two human beings, so it's not just about marriage. It's about humanity as a whole. There's broken relationship. Second, there is going to be, uh, as you work, as you rule, there is the sweat. There is the thorns and the thistles and the brokenness and even the curse in as we multiply and as we procreate, what, what, what does it say in Scripture? That there will be, that, that there is painstaking, there is pain in labor and childbearing. All of this is marred by the fall. And we feel it, don't we? we? We have to understand this is why we experience the things that we do in our everyday lives. Because you read Genesis 1 and 2, you're like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Like, this is great. But what has happened is Genesis 3, the fall. It's a shadow that has fallen on everything. And so we, this is why we experience both good and bad. People wrestle over this idea of like, hey, is man inherently good or is man inherently evil? And the answer to that is yes. It is both when you read our origin story. Do we have the potentiality for good and and are we created for good things? Yes, we're created in God's image. But all of us are under the curse of the fall. And so every relationship, every marriage, every job, like listen to me, you will not find a perfect job. You will not find a perfect city. You will not find a perfect state to live in. What you're looking for is you're looking for Eden. You're looking for heaven. And that is the only place where that will ultimately be restored. This is, and so yes, it's a longing, but we have to understand. And so this is why there's good and bad. In all of life, it's both of it. Human beings, we're responsible for so many good things, am I right? Like music, that's incredible. We've explored the depths of the sea. We've adventured into space. We've split the atom. We can perform heart transplants. Literally, if your heart is, has gone bad and you are on a list and, and a donor passes and their heart is good, they can take that other hum, seven-pound human heart and place it inside your chest and like, 
hook up the connections, however they do it, you know, like a lot of zip ties and glue, whatever that process is. This is amazing to me. This is incredible. We've created Lord of the Rings and Disneyland and Harry Potter World. Are you kidding me? Yes, like too charismatic. Calm down on that, okay? You outed yourself. We fly hundreds of people through the sky at 500 miles per hour to different countries and states, and we've invented the spicy chicken deluxe by Chick-fil-A with a frosted lemonade. Can I get an amen? Like humanity has done incredible things. This is the image of God. But we've also been marred by the fall. We've experienced this shattering. And this is why when we look at humans, we are responsible for a shattered world full of human trafficking. Like we sell people. We sell children for a profit. Millions, millions of Jews were killed in the Holocaust. There's school shootings every year. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's broken, wounded, mentally ill teenagers, but sometimes it's adults going into schools where little kids gather. There's genocides in Rwanda. There, there's moments uh, like right now where we're experiencing is basically a, a digital civil war being fought through politics and media. That is what we are living through right now. That is the fall. We have oil spills in the ocean that, that, that just destroy this beautiful creation that we are entrusted to rule over and to care for. Things like the Panama Canal blockages that everyone is feeling months and months out. And like even shallow things, like have you ever heard bluegrass music? Like if that is not a product of the fall, I do not know what is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we, like God gave us steak and bacon and we said, what about beyond meat, right? <laughs> Literally, let's cook this in a lab. And he's like, no, like, like bacon wrapped filet, like the two together and like the, the holy duality. Like we... Like, the world has fallen, amen? Like we, like, we feel it. And it is in the fiber of our DNA to rule, to replicate, to relate with one another. And the fall, it's cast a shadow, a shattered image that we are feeling the reverber, reverberations of still now. And here's what I need you to know. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came that he would redeem and restore all things. Jesus came because we think we can just take all these pieces and put them back together, and if we use enough glue, and if we try hard enough, like we're gonna be able to fix this image. And Jesus said, no, the only way is if I come to earth, take on human form, and I take all your brokenness upon myself. This is why at communion we break, that he breaks the bread. It's this understanding that his body was broken so that we could be made whole. See, the gospel is the story of God restoring all things through Jesus. That's what we build our lives upon. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to take our brokenness and our, and our shattered mirror that he might restore all things. This is what Paul explains in Colossians 1. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him 
and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What does that word reconcile mean? It means to put back together that which has been broken. This is what Jesus is doing. He is reconciling all things through himself. And this is why the gospel is the story of God restoring, redeeming, renewing, reconciling all things in their time through Jesus. To understand the gospel is to understand that we are broken, we cannot fix ourselves. But to understand the gospel is to understand Jesus, that this is why he came, to restore and redeem us. So, so to bring us full back around, what are we wired for? What is our calling? What is our purpose? This is where Paul gets to it so beautifully in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about this, this team as, as they're moving and as they're going. And this is what he says. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He, he, he takes us back to Genesis. Am I right? This is garden language. No, no, we have this role to play, and we're all different, and we're all wired differently, and, but we need to understand that we are part of God's story. We are part of what he is doing in the world. We are part of what he's doing in our city and in our community, and, and he goes on, and he says this incredible thing. This is what Paul says in the very next verse. He says, for we are God's co-workers. Isn't that incredible? Like, like, we think of ourselves as his employees, right? Underpaid employees. We want more. Like, where's my stimmy, right? You know, like. But the language here is partnership language. And, and look, on one sense, absolutely, are we, are we servants of God? You better believe it. That's one of the common things that Paul calls himself. He is a servant of God. But we are also his coworkers. We are his partners. And if we're his co-workers, that means that we're not just working for God, we're working with God. We are partnering together. That's what we wired for. We have this family member in our household. Um, his name is Leo. And we called him, uh, my son called him Leo because, um, because he's, a, he's a leopard gecko. And uh, I like that. There was some compassion for Leo, yeah. He doesn't, ha he doesn't talk, don't, he's not that entertaining, but, uh, but, but Dax loves Leo. And, but every once in a while, Leo will get out, um, because we also have a cat named Waffles, and so one day I walked into Dax's room, and Dax was mad at Waffles for letting Leo out, and so, uh, you know, he, he, had put, he had put Waffles um, in Leo's home. And a few weeks ago, uh, Leo went missing, because Waffles went exploring, and normally, you know, he's under the dresser, or he's somewhere in the room, and, and we couldn't find him. And a few days go by, and we still can't find Leo. And so we start preparing my son for the reality, like, like, like Leo may be gone, like Waffles maybe ate Leo. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> this is a broken, fallen world we live in. Or, or Leo is in Hawaii on vacation. We, di we didn't know where Leo was. And for us, we're like, it, come on, it's just like, it's, it's a lizard, right? It's a leopard gecko. But for Dax, like, he was devastated. 
um, he began to just like even grieve the process. Um, there was multiple days in a row where he would cry himself to sleep and he would wake up because he just missed Leo, his little buddy. And uh, last Sunday after church, uh, we got home and did dinner and we're doing bedtime. And, and, and my, my daughter, Nova, she just was having a rough night. And, you know, she was at the end of her rope and she just was having a bad attitude about everything. And, you know, it reached the point where we're like, okay, like, no, you don't get books tonight before bed. And she just went hysterical. And so she's in her bed just screaming and yelling and just really upset. And, you know, I go upstairs, and, and Jesse is in Dax's bunk bed with him, um, reading him stories. And all of a sudden, Nova's crying and yelling gets a little qu- quieter. And then all of a sudden, I hear her yell at the top of her lungs, Guys! It's Leo! <laughs> and I, you know, like the calm, cool, collected, normal human being I am, come running downstairs, right? <laughs> Boom! You know, I'm running down the stairs just in time to see Nova scooping Leo up from the carpet, holding him like it's a scene out of The Lion King. You know, pink pajamas, penguins on the bottom. Like, we all come around, you know? It's just this incredible moment. Like, you know, she hands him to Dax. Dax hugs her, like their first hug in eight years, you know? And they're not that old, you know? It's just this moment. And, you know, Dax, he puts, you know, puts Leo back in his habitat, and he, you know, gives him his worms and his water and his calcium powder and his drug, whatever you do with a leopard gecko. And, and, he, and he gets back in bed with, with, with his mom, and he, and he looks, he's, he goes, you, it's, this is so great. He's like, tonight at church, we did two things. We had a verse to memorize, and we had to write down a prayer request, and I wrote that we would find Leo. <laughs> and my wife goes, Dax, that's amazing that God answered your prayer. And he looks at her, and he goes, is that rare? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a little pastor's kid. <laughs> and so I go into Noah's room, and she just like has this smile on her face. And I crawl in bed with her, and I say, Nova, guess what? I'm like, tonight at church, Dax prayed that he would find Leo. And she's like, he did. And I say, yeah. And I said, you want to know something cool? what? I said, Nova, you got to be the hands of Jesus answering that prayer tonight. And she just had this big, beautiful, toothless smile on her face. And she understood. See, what are we wired for? We're wired to partner with God in restoring all things through Jesus. That's what our life is about, that we get to partner, that we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so this series, it's all about discovering who you are, how you are created, how you're called, how you are wired to partner with God and redeeming and restoring all things through Jesus. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, as we come to you and your word over the next six, seven, eight weeks, would you chisel away at our calling? 
I pray that there would be people in this room that would live with different purpose and meaning and significance because of the ways that you have opened your, our eyes through this series, that we would understand your goodness, that we would understand your glory, we would understand what it means to be created in your image, and that we would be a people who reflect that, that relationally, we would tell the better story. That in our work, we would understand the deeper meaning. And that as we replicate, would we understand that this is us using our hands and our feet to be your hands and feet in this world, God. Would you give us spirit-filled clarity over what it means to live our calling, over what it means to discover our wiring. And would we be a people that live for your glory, our joy, and others' good. In Jesus' name, amen.